Welcome to Eclipse, a Dungeons & Dragons sci-fi fantasy thriller. I'm Jeremy Fair, and I'll be your Dungeon Master. I'm Adam DeWeese, and I will be your illithid cleric, Dr. Shepard. I'm Megan Kelleher, and I will be your human monk, Ava Elkin. I'm Rob Clark, and I will be your Warforged Artificier, Info Fuscat. I'm Whitney Mullins, and I'll be playing Lita Nove and ASMR Bard. And I'm Patrick Collins, playing Kanan Vergest, the Tiefling Wild Magic Sorcerer. The five of you are currently aboard the Galactic Arcane Research Yacht, a small science vessel mandated to you by the Lord's Armada of the Sword Coast. Sponsored by the Waterdeep Museum of Art and History, your research team has been commissioned on an interplanetary expedition to Amaron, one of the three moons orbiting the gas giant Calamar. You have been traveling at a steady pace for nearly five days, but you have finally gotten within the last couple million miles of your journey. We should be arriving in Amaron in about two hours. Ava is feeding Apricot, her ferret familiar, from a tube of fish oil paste. She's just sort of licking it out. Does that thing eat? Yep, ferrets love that. And I would be sitting in one of the common areas using a yo-yo, just kind of working it up and down, working on some tricks. Ooh, geez. Now that I know there's a yo-yo in play, I think uh, Dr. Shepard may be watching that yo-yo. Pretty fascinated by it. I'm going to be honest, Apricot wants a piece of that yo-yo. It's really hard to keep her focused on the fish. The yo-yo is now the central point of this story. Lita would be sitting at a table drawing out maps of everything that they're doing and doodling, like anything they're passing that they see out in space. I'm making coffee for everyone. So the five of you are commanding the Gary, the Galactic Arcane Research Yacht, and you are finally nearing your destination of Calamar. Calamar is a large gas giant with three moons, and though the actual solid core of the gas giant is not really that large, the three moons that orbit the planet are pretty substantial in terms of solid surface area. You are heading here to conduct research on a temple that was once inhabited by the Groom Shog, the moon orcs, uh, many, many years ago. You would all know that Calamar has been invaded by the Illithid about 800 years ago, and about 200 years ago, the Githyanki, alongside with the Wild Elves, managed to fight off all of the Illithid and eventually exterminate them completely from the planet. This was substantial because it was the closest that the Illithid had ever managed to set up a sort of home base within the realm space, uh, which is the solar system that Torel is a part of. After defeating the Illithid, the Githyanki claimed Calamar and its three moons as their own. And for over a hundred years, they had placed a galactic travel ban on Calamar because they wanted to completely scour the planet and make sure that they had truly eradicated every single last Illithid because the Illithids have been the Githyanki's eternal enemy for like thousands of years. So you are all headed here to finally try to conduct some actual research on the moon of Amaron since with all the different wars and different species that have occupied the planet over the last couple thousand years, there really isn't that much that's known about the culture of the original moon orcs, the Grumshog, who were once native to Amaron. So that is the main purpose of your journey. 
There seems to be something on the sensors coming up on us. Gary, what am I looking at here? It would seem that a vessel is approaching. Yeah, I can see that, Gary. You want to give me something else, or, uh... The approaching vessel is a first-generation Spelljammer ship. Oh, a Generation 1? Oh, I love those. They're my favorite. That was about 100 years ago, right? The first Spelljammer was manufactured 50 years ago in 1565 DR. First generation? Can't believe that thing's still flying. Why didn't our systems give us a heads up on this? Yeah, Gary. Vessel approaching at 12,000 feet. Were you distracted by the yo-yo, Gary? You can be honest. This ship that is approaching you, this Generation 1 Spelljammer, does not look the way your ship looks. You are all in an enclosed vessel that is made largely of metal and that is being propelled through space using a magical spell coil. This looks more like a traditional airship. It looks like a giant galleon flying through space at you at a very, very quick speed. And surrounding this Spelljammer ship is some sort of magical force barrier and you can see like it is creating its own sort of atmosphere on the ship which even though the top deck normally would be open to space um, it's like some sort of magical barrier that's keeping everybody on board safe from suffocating there's a light blinking over here boys and girls Uh, what's this light going the approaching vessel is requesting communication link uh, link then? Link them up? Communication link accepted. As Gary links the Eclipse comm system to the other ship, a creature's face will suddenly appear across your crystal display. A gruff-looking bugbear with long tusks and an impressive bushy black beard stares at you from behind narrowed eyebrows. He is wearing black splintered armor with mismatched iron pauldrons and spiked arm bracers. Identify yourself! I'm Info, nice to meet you. Uh, or did you did you mean everybody, or, uh... Uh, well, this is Info Scott, as he said. I'm a doctor, Dr. Shepard. Okay, I don't, I don't think he wants to know, like, our names and our birthdays and our dreams and aspirations. This is the Eclipse. We are a research vessel. We're headed for the moon of Amaron on, in the name of researching on behalf of the Waterdeep Museum. Uh, we're non-combative, simply want to go on our way. Stop your vessel immediately. Or be prepared to be fired upon. Oh, awesome. Think we have any problem stopping our vessel? Suddenly, your scanners indicate that you yourself are being scanned from the other ship. You notice that there are a number of weapons on board and that you are absolutely outgunned. They appear to be in an unmarked war vessel that appears to be a heavily modified first-generation dwarven spelljammer. This is a relic of a ship, and it would sooner belong in a museum than flying through space. There are at least four cannons detected by your sensors, and the opposing ship appears to have an outdated shield disruptor from the days of the original Spelljammer. Though it is considered largely obsolete, that might explain why you were unable to detect it until now. Stop your vessel and power down, or prepare to be fired upon. Yeah, hey Gary, you want to shut her down? Yeah, hit the brake. So you manage to slow the Gary down to a stop. The ship puts itself in low power mode, I am Captain Bakta. Prepare yourselves. I am sending a boarding party. And suddenly the ship will begin to move directly up against your airlock bay. You'll see a sort of plank-like bridge start slowly extending out towards the front door of your airlock. And as you watch on the sensors, you see that a number of different creatures of varying races start to make their way across this bridge. All of them appear to be heavily armed with either bladed weapons or crystal-powered rifles, and there appears to be 
four of these that are now marching their way towards the airlock bay. You notice amongst them an orc, a lizard folk, a bugbear, and what appears to be some sort of merfolk. There also is a pair of smaller creatures that are levitating and following behind them. They appear to have a eye in the center of their spherical-shaped body, and they have four little eye stalks with small eyes on the ends of them. They are following behind them, and all of these space pirates are starting to move straight towards your airlock bay. You'll see the face of Bakhtal come back up on your screen. Open the airlock. We are coming in. Can I move as far back in this room as possible? I'm fine being the uh, welcome wagon, me and Apricot. Should we offer them coffee? Mmm, coffee? I mean, Rodney's got it brewed here. I would definitely be kind of hiding behind, like, a workshop table here. I'd be behind that. Lito will walk over to the decompression chamber and prepare for them to enter the ship. Does anybody else think this is, like, a super aggressive move? Seems we really don't have a choice in the matter, even though it does seem rather aggressive of them. I'm just going to keep Rodney nearby here. Suddenly... The airlock door begins to open, and you can all see through the plated glass as these figures begin to enter your ship. Suddenly you'll hear the airlock lock behind them, and on the screen you can see the chamber begin to decompress as it balances out the outside atmosphere with the inside atmosphere of the Gary. What would you all like to do during this moment? You notice that, just like you had seen on the scanners moments before, there are only four of them at the moment, but you do see at least another dozen or so people on the other ship that have not yet crossed over. Balktal is no longer on your communication screens, but by using your uh, viewers, you're able to see that there is a very large bugbear who appears to be standing behind a traditional captain's wheel on top of the opposing ship. Ava's gonna like raise both hands to let them know she's not armed, but in such a way that also kind of shows she's like got some guns, you know, like arm guns, not pew pew guns. Yeah, I think uh, Dr. Shepard's just going to hang back near uh, Kanan and just, I mean, this is happening, it seems, so. This seems incredibly menacing. In this situation, you do feel, um, if you try to just outright get in a gunfight with them between ship to ship, you might lose. They have at least four cannons that are trained directly on your ship, and you can actually see that despite your compliance, there appears to be creatures manning each one of those weapons. Now, they were already there when they first approached, but they certainly do have a lot more people on board that are poised to attack if something were to go awry. Yeah, I wouldn't make any sudden moves, gang. Uh, Dr. Shepard will try to just tuck in their tentacles into their shirt, just in case um, these people aren't super big fans of Illithid. Going to keep Rodney nearby here. And Rodney is my steel defender, for those of you that don't know, so he will be sitting right next to me. I had literally just pieced together who Rodney was right before you said that. (laughs) Is Shepard they them? Yes. Rod. Can each of you make a space knowledge check? That's an intelligence check. And mine will be plus proficiency. That will be a 14 total for Dr. Shepard. Ava got a 22. Well, dang. Now, (laughs) mine doesn't look as good now. Ava, you know that though this ship is much more heavily armed than your ship is, it is not nearly as good of a ship. It is not as fast. It does not have the same technology. Um, It does not have the same capabilities that your ship does. 
The only reason it was unable to be detected by your sensors was because of the sheer antiquity of the ship, that the way it works is simply so different that the scanners were not picking up for that sort of vessel. So you do feel that you perhaps could do things to, you know, manipulate the situation in your favor, but getting in a straight cannon fight wouldn't be the best choice. All right, well, we're not out of luck, guys. Uh, They have quantity, but we have quality. So if we play our cards right, we might not be totally screwed. Well, that sounds really helpfully self-confidence raising there. I thought so. Um, uh... Oh, well, this can't get any worse. Go ahead. What's the message there, Gary? I have sent my people to your ship. You will surrender all weapons and do nothing funny, or I will send the rest. You are much outnumbered, and I have many more crew beneath decks. Do not try anything funny. As he says that, you see the four bipedal creatures begin to march their way towards the door between the decompression chamber and the main chamber of the ship, while the two smaller orb sort of creatures with the eye stalks are simply floating and moving around them. Um, Each of these smaller creatures that have the eye stalks and the central eye appear to be maybe the size of a grapefruit. So they're not enormous, but they are um, still sizable. They're like the size of a like a human head. You'll hear a big knocking on the iron door as the orc that seems to be leading the small boarding party bangs on it aggressively. Open up! Um, Ava, did you mean we could possibly outrun this other ship? I don't like the idea of surrendering all arms to these space pirates. Uh, could we maybe just explosively decompress them out there? There's another banging on the iron door. What are you doing? Open the door now! Yes, the door is stuck, of course. I make a big show of, like, taking my spell blade out and, like, dropping it and being like, I have no weapons. One second, the door is jammed. You know how it is. Gary, blow these dudes out into space right now, please. Decompression protocol engaged. You see the vents in the decompression chamber begin to spew air, and it's just like... And you just hear them all screaming. They're being pulled and yanked outwards towards the vacuum to space. All of the other creatures on the other ship begin to move about in a panicked scramble, and suddenly a stocky-looking kobold that's manning one of the frontal cannons will release an energy blast inside of the eclipse. Emergency alert! Impact detected in engine core. Rerouting auxiliary power. Uh, hey Gary, you think maybe we could go? Yeah, Gary, you can probably outrun this old timer, right? Uh, that might be a good time to get out of here, I think. Use it, Gary. Gary begins to launch itself into space at a rapid speed. Meanwhile, the comm system is continuing to beep, and you see the bridge that was used to attach the two ships suddenly splinter in half and parts of it just fly out into the darkness of space. And the ship behind you immediately moves forward in a quick pursuit. The bluish magical energy that is surrounding the ship intensifies in brightness, and the ship is suddenly moving after you very, very, very quickly. What would you all like to do? And we are going to roll initiative. I'm going to run over to the uh, controls for our aft-facing weapon, which I believe is the zapper over on the gondola. So as you all begin to speed off into space, you are moving thousands of feet per second. And the longer that you begin to travel this way, the faster you begin to go. You start picking up momentum and you are just hurling yourself through space trying to escape. 
the Spelljammer pirate ship behind you, though it lacks in weaponry, it does seem to be able to keep up with you at a decent pace. You do feel that with every passing second, you are gaining a little bit of distance between the two of you, but they are certainly still within firing range. As you look on the sensors, you notice that they have completely dropped their shields and they are putting their weapons in full attack mode. And you begin to see a, another blue blast launch itself from the front of the ship. But luckily, it manages to glance right off of your abjuration shields. We are under attack! <laughs> Info of Scott was going towards the zapper. Hey guys, should I shoot at them? Yeah, I think that's a great idea at this point. Sure. Yeah, why not? What else are we doing? Aim for whatever's propelling that ship if you can. Yeah, so normally, if they had a ship that wasn't an artifact, you would aim for their engine. But in this case, you do know at the back of the ship is a spell jammer. It's made of the same crystal material your spell coil is made of, except they have an actual mage that is manually propelling this thing. And, and this mage would have to be very powerful in order to propel a ship consistently through space. And that's the reason that they decided to try to come up with a way to improve upon that method because it was just so draining on the person. Um, so you would want to probably aim for their spell jammer if you were trying to find an equivalence to the engine. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and fire the sonic cannon here. So 19 plus your engineering, but that does hit. You fire the zapper and a large arc of lightning energy It is launched directly at the spell jammer on the back of the ship that is following you. You manage to hit it directly, nearly wiping out some of the crew members who are standing nearby. You um, actually see them as you're looking through your scanners. Them kind of all jump out of the way as you visibly scorch the top of the deck. It seems that this arc energy from the zapper has completely penetrated the magical uh, aura-like shield that surrounds the Generation 1 spell jammer. You can go ahead and roll damage. That's going to be 3d8 magical lightning damage. Ooh. You managed to hit them directly in the spell jammer for 24 damage. You notice the ship that is chasing you slows down considerably. Um, it is still in hot pursuit, but it does seem that it caused some sort of momentary lapse that moved it back further out of your range. So it is no longer in the range of the zapper, but it does seem like you are putting more of a distance between the two of you if you are trying to escape. Um, Dr. Shepard will be running towards the helm of the ship and uh, trying to raise our abjuration shields that we've lowered. Uh, in our fit of <laughs> naivety, um, I will try to raise them back up. Dr. Shepard moves quickly to the helm of the ship and you go to the control panel, manually flipping on the abjuration shields. Some of the power that is normally directed to the weapons will instead be directed to the shields, and your own spell ship is now surrounded by a similar blue aura that the opposing ship had as well. Oh, go us in our moment of stupidity. <laughs> that increases the AC of all of our stuff. Yeah, it gives you a plus three AC bonus to all of your systems, but it slightly decreases your attack damage. Kanan is up next. So Kanan will run towards the helm of the Gary, man the sonic hammer, and you guys see him grab a hold of the charging port of this to cast a firebolt into this magical enhancement device and blast a firebolt through the sonic hammer towards the ensuing vessel. You're able to put your hand down with the sonic hammer and interlace your magical interface with its own. Go ahead and roll. A 13. So Kanan is able to channel this energy and launch this firebolt attack at the ship that is pursuing you. 
and you just barely manage to land the hit. The large blast of fire can be seen kind of ricocheting off of the shields that they have up, but nonetheless, you do see that once again, the ship that is chasing you falters slightly in its speed, and the distance between the two of you grow even greater. However, it is getting to the point where they will soon be out of range of your attacks. There is the option of warping that you guys discussed earlier. I don't know that you need to do that, but um, if you do warp, you can travel like like way, way further than Calamar, and you'd be there like in moments, but it's very dangerous. I just now saw the, the warp, but then I also saw the bad stuff that can happen for the warp. So that's kind of a last-ditch effort, I think, on our crew's mind. As you launch these attacks at the ship that is chasing you, you're able to widen the distance between the two of you. have switched all of the auxiliary power to the abjuration shields, and though it is slightly taking away from your attack, it is greatly increasing your defenses. You're all quite successful at trying to escape these space pirates that were no doubt planning to rob you for everything that you have, when suddenly you hear a noise at the decompression chamber door. We are under assault. Airlock integrity at 86%. Gary, can we close the door in the decompression chamber, please? Closing outer hull. Airlock integrity at 74%. Gary, what's in there? Two life forms detected. Non-humanoid. Accessing crystal display. Suddenly on the crystal display, you see the decompression chamber. And though there are none of the bipedal creatures left, they have all been sucked out into the vacuum of space. There are the two floating creatures with the eye stalks that seem to be handling the environment without issue. And they are both shooting bright blue beams from their central eye focused on the door. Airlock integrity at 64%. Is that good, Gary? Okay, Lita runs over to the decompression chamber and is trying to get the door open so she can deal with these little eyeball things. Yeah, Lita can definitely just very easily grab a lever and manually open the door to the airlock. As you're peering through this door, you notice that these two floating creatures with the central eyes look similar to that of a beholder, but they are much, much smaller. They also do not appear to have nearly as wide of a toothy maw, and they only have four eye stalks as opposed to the normal eight. It seems we have some baby beholders. Are they cute? They are pretty cute, but they're also burning through your decompression chamber door with ice beams. Right. Dr. Shepard will start scooting over towards them too. Immediately these two little spheres will stop shooting the ice beams and they're both staring at you, blinking the large central eye as the four smaller eye stalks just stare at you. They don't even really appear to have eyelids. Hello. Can you speak? When you ask the question, one of them just kind of floats and moves its way kind of towards you, Dr. Shepard, and then it will suddenly dart downwards and attempt to bite you in the leg. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But it only gets an eight. Uh. So it'll suddenly zoom towards your leg, giving you just the slightest little bit of nibbles, and then it goes... Um, When it does that, the other one starts growling as well, and you see all four of its outer eye stalks start to glow red. Ava! You guys figure out what's messing with the doors back there? Info comes around the corner and sees that and just goes, Oh, Haggis. Rodney, come smack this thing about some. Rodney just comes rolling over. Can I hold out my little tube of fish oil paste and just see if they're hungry? Sure, you hold out your tube of fish oil paste. 
and the one that tried to bite Dr. Shepard and was growling is now moving around his leg rapidly, like flying around like a golden snitch or something. And then it will suddenly dart away and go straight towards the tube of fish oil that you were holding out. It attacks the fish oil tube with such ferocity it knocks it out of your hands and it just begins to savagely start chewing and devouring the thing, slurping out all of the oil inside and um, essentially destroying the container. It bit me real good. We're trying to... Can I attempt to just sort of like... I mean, it's little, right? Can I just try and like grapple it and like get my hands on it? (laughs) I mean, I mean, I don't take kindly to wasting pet food it's not like there's like a pet co in space that i can just go to and get more of this stuff so i'm gonna try and grab it sure if you want to yeah it's pretty small it's like the size of a grapefruit or something i was curious where you're getting this fish oil paste from (laughs) i mean it's rations apricot is a valued member of the crew are you trying to grapple the one that ate all the fish oil or the other one i assume the one who has the fish oil is like near me so yeah i'll try and grab that one devouring this fish oil quite loudly you can hear it slurping and slobbering and like growling and chewing you hear the little tube that it was in shatter and it seems to even be devouring all the little bits of glass and everything meanwhile the other one is just staring at you all with all four of its eye stalks still glowing um and when you go over to grab it, what are you going to try to do? Just like literally grab it with your hands? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, I have pretty thick gloves on. 18. All right. You attempt to grab it with your hands and it is much weaker than you are. It is very, very light and you were able to no problem grab it in your hands. But when you do, uh, one of the little outward eye stalks wibbles around and it zaps you with a little beam of ice and you take six ice damage. And he goes, Arr! right when that happens, I think we're going to roll initiative. What would the logistics behind, like, picking them up and, like, throwing them out the door be? You know how, like, when you have a bad animal and you just open the door and throw them outside real quick before they, like, what would the, <laughs> what would the logistics behind that be? Yeet. <laughs> yeah, like. Ooh, cool. I'm looking for buckets. <laughs> and I rolled a natural 20, so 22 initiative. So it's my turn. I would like to try to uh, look around. Uh, Right now, I'm currently standing in kind of the helm of the ship. I would like to try to find some sort of a metal bucket-ish would be best case scenario for me. I would maybe settle for like a thick uh, cargo bag or something to throw to Ava. I'm going to grab Kanan's metal lunchbox and toss it over to Ava. I would definitely have one of those. All right, Ava, Dr. Shepard suddenly chucks a uh, metal lunchbox at you, and it comes flinging through the air uh, towards you. You're able to catch it pretty effortlessly. Those uh, monk reflexes. Uh, Yeah, I managed to catch it. Absolutely try to wrestle this thing in. I say, you know, you're not being very polite right now, and I think you need to time out. And I try and shove it in the metal box. So as you're trying to hold this very small beholder creature in your hands, you feel that even though it's light, it seems to be able to manipulate the space around it pretty easy. So it's like pushing a lot of force against you as you're trying to hold it still. And it seems like it's trying to zoom and get out of your hands like any way possible. Um, Even after attacking your hand, which now has a slight burn, like a slight burning feeling as you got hit with with the ice beam, the thing is still resisting. However, you're able to momentarily take your hand off, catch the lunchbox and slam the lunchbox down on top of it. 
Are you trying to pin it between the floor or the wall? Oh, um, the floor. You're able to slam this lunchbox right down on top of it, and you're now pinning this thing to the ground, and you can feel it moving around inside in a panic. It's like bumping up against the walls, and you can hear it loudly growling. The noise seems to be getting louder as it's getting more and more infuriated within the box. Meanwhile, the other one doesn't seem to be very happy about this at all. What else? I would like to turn to the other one and say, you want in on this or are you going to calm down? And it's just growling as it's charging up the eye stalks on top of its head. He's a charge in his laser. <laughs> no, I, I need like a squirt bottle, but I left it in a, I left it in my quarters because that's, you know, where I do my punishing of, of Apricot when she's bad, which is not often. I'm good. I will hold it down. And uh, that's my turn. I am curious what Kanan's lunchbox has on it, though. I was going to ask after the fact. If it's like a cool, like limited limited edition Dritz, <laughs> Dritz, <laughs> Dritz lunchbox. All right, then we go to Lita. Legit. <laughs> Do we have a, a trash chute somewhere? Like for real, <laughs> dude. There is a trash chute on the ship. Yes. Okay. How far away is that from where we are? So there is two trash chutes. There is one that's in the main helm at the front of the ship where you usually command everything and then there's another one that's in your quarters uh, which is right beneath the satellites in the center of the ship. So at the moment you were all standing basically above the quarters but I mean they're both you know only 40 or 50 feet away. Okay so I would like to take a bag just like a sack that we have and just put it around this thing and like tie the top like hold it and take it and be like I'm taking you to the garbage. This is ridiculous. So Lita pulls out this bag and she suddenly just comes running out from the quarters, this bag, and she's screaming at this small beholder and she's going to attempt to capture it inside of this sack. Why don't you make a grapple check? Ooh, natural one. So Lita takes off running towards this thing And on the way, she sees the one under the lunchbox and gets terribly distracted and actually trips and ends up falling on her butt on the floor. And the bag is just sitting there and she lets out an exasperated sigh at her failures. The thing is very easily able to kind of just move a foot to the side and dodge the bag without any problem at all. Hey, Jeremy, is this how the combat you were expecting it to go? Us just catching these things and throw them out the trash? Weird gremlins episode. <laughs> and then we go to Info. Uh, info, having seen the terrible tripping transpire, does a classic Picard face palm over to the side and just mutters, Rodney, laddie, go sick him. And so Rodney, my steel defender, goes to attack the one that uh, she just completely whiffed on bagging. What does Rodney look like? He looks like uh, like one of those fancy Breville coffee makers <laughs> with uh, spindly arms and kind of like Mickey Mouse hands <laughs> and um, some like wheels that kind of look like little tank treads that come down like two little sets of tank treads. So kind of like the mouse uh, droids from Star Wars meets a Breville coffee maker. And he actually goes, beep, boop, bloop. So you send your steel defender across the ship to attack one of these little invasive creatures. What are you going to do once the steel defender gets there? Uh, let's see. He has a 40-foot speed, so he should have no trouble getting there. He's going to use force-empowered rend, a melee weapon attack. Oh, my God. Your steel defender moves across the ship as quickly as it can as you command it to attack. But it is having a hard time 
getting past Lita, who is still struggling to get off up off the floor after she has tripped. And uh, the Beholderkin is very easily able to just move another foot or two up into the air and manage to stay out of its attack range. He just crashes and a little hiss and some coffee trickles out. <laughs> Were you going to do anything else? Oh, God. No, that's it. I, I just continue to face palm at that failure as well. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jerundu. And we are the hosts of Dice Talk on the Majestic Goose Podcast Network. Dice Talk is a Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop podcast that dives into the deep topics of tabletop role-playing games. Join us as we speak with passionate content creators, podcasters, authors, and more as we discuss all manner of tabletop and geek-related content. Dice Talk is a bi-weekly show, so we're hitting your podcatchers with fresh new episodes every other week filling your ears with exclusive interviews and conversations that you can't find anywhere else. Every episode is a new opportunity to hear from different creators in the tabletop community and just talk about Dungeons and & Dragons and any other tabletop games that have made us who we are. Dice Talk, now on the Majestic Goose Podcast Network. Make sure you check us out and subscribe so you never miss an episode. A Majestic Goose Podcast. Oh. Do you suffer from chronic storytelling dysfunction? Do you find you're overrun with trite tropes and cliche character patterns? Well, you're not alone. In my old age, I was tired of boring stories, but thanks to Dice Chronicles, I feel young again. If you suffer from a lack of creative world building or one-dimensional character development, Dice Chronicles may be just what you need. My characters always felt flat and unable to perform, but with Dice Chronicles, I'm not afraid of being my true self. Before I started listening to Dice Chronicles, I felt so alone in my hunger. But now I'm a first-rate villain. Dice Chronicles gave me a purpose. But most importantly, it gave me a terrible French accent. Hi, I'm Yarn, and before Dice Chronicles, I used to be terrified of magic. But now, after just a few episodes, I've got magic pouring out of my eyeballs. I used to suffer from crippling anxiety. But thanks to Dice Chronicles, now I only suffer from anxiety from going on an adventure with my friends. Dice Chronicles is not responsible for rolling natural ones, TPKs, or the general feeling that our characters are better than yours. Ask your DM today if Dice Chronicles is right for you. Find us at podbean.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, so then we will move on to Kanan. Kanan, what are you doing while you were watching this transpire? Uh, I'm kind of ducked behind that table in the center of the room looking at the chaos ensuing and I'd like to move forward so that I can see both of these mini beholders and then I'm going to use my twin spell ability to twin spell firebolt and try and blast both of these things. All right, go for it. Oh, so Kanan, you come rushing towards the decompression chamber where these two small beholder kin are fighting 
the rest of your allies on the Eclipse, and you use your twin spell power to launch two firebolts at both of these creatures. However, both of them miss. One of the firebolts narrowly misses hitting Eva uh, in the side of the head, while the other firebolt hits its target, but unfortunately is currently being protected by your own steel lunchbox, which you know is very high quality. I'll try and get out of the way. Seeing that it hit the front of my steel lunchbox, which definitely has like a a custom like inlaid image of Drizzt holding both of his his daggers leaping across a canyon and seeing that it scorches the front of that I'm like oh no 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 that's not what I wanted and I guess that's my turn <laughs> we go back to Dr. Shepard so everyone's still good one's still just flying around ain't it I am going to cast sleep on the one that is swarming about still and nobody seems to be able to catch. Now, what does that look like? I'm going to take aim with this uh, rather futuristic looking trink gun. It looks like a a rather large syringe and I'm going to aim it down at this one that's flying around and somehow I'm usually not super great at this. Uh, This is the same apparatus that I use to give the crewmates any of their, you know, biannual shots or anything that we need or vaccinations. Um, And they usually complain that it hurts and I don't do it right. So for some reason, I'm able to get this little tiny uh, grapefruit flying around. And through the air, I actually am able to um, get the dart straight into it. And it starts to just kind of looks like it's going in slow motion for a little bit and still flying around Ava and Lita. And then eventually it just slowly drifts down to the ground after the needles in it for just uh, like two, three, four seconds. And it just lands softly on the ground, snoring loudly if it's capable of snoring. That's for one minute only, which isn't super long. So mm, Lita, get it. All right, we go to Lita. Lita, you see this um, beholder can quickly just crash onto the ground, and it's it's just snoring. Perfect. Crash it. So Lita's going to look over at it and kind of growl at it a little bit. Like, oh, you stupid little thing. Go in here. And she takes the bag. It doesn't even stand up and just scoops it into the bag from where it's laying on the ground, like close to where she is and has it like a Santa Claus bag and throws it over her back and is like to the garbage chute with you and makes her way to the garbage chute with the ball. Yeah, you're able to do that with no problem. The um, beholder is very much asleep so it is not able to resist or fight back in any way and you are essentially just taking a weird looking fruit and shoving it in a bag and um you waltz right on over to the trash chute are you just going to throw it out into oh i can, you make, can make it, it. i didn't think i could make it oh my god yeah so lita is going to walk over prancing to the garbage chute kind of like you get to go float in space you're in space and then she opens the sack and shoves it in very forcefully shoves it through the thing and smashes the button and is like success (laughs) and then walks away that's so relieving I was so worried that it was just going to go to some storage area. That's what I was worried about too, and I completely forgot we're moving. It would eventually become very quickly compactor monster in Star Wars. That like one (laughs) eye sticking up. Literally same. That's what I was picturing. It was going down there. (laughs) Yeah, I was. 
super worried about that. So your trash compactor <laughs> has two settings. One, just kind of you put it in there and it, like you can basically cryo freeze anything that you put in there so that doesn't uh, rot and produce any sort of nastiness on the ship and it kills all the germs and stuff. But then there's the other option, which is just empty the trash compactor, and that's what you have just done. As the um, small beholder can launches itself out, just jettison it off. We would all know that. Yeah, we, we would probably we would know that, right? Because I'm sure we probably had to take turns on dishes duty. And- yeah, I mean Shepard skips out a lot, but most of the time you all do the chores. Very busy elephant. As Lita is disposing of this creature, can I turn to Doctor Shepard and say, Doc? Do you want to try and wrangle that one and see uh, what makes it tick? I know beholders. I don't know if I need to study it very much. It seemed pretty feisty. Yeah, you hear it banging around as it's trying to break out of this uh, small metal lunchbox. Um, Eva's just managed to hold it, hold it down, which is the only reason it hasn't escaped. How's the lunchbox doing? Is it all dented or is it like mostly in... No, it's good. You'll hear like weird like noises inside and you'll feel like it really cold suddenly. Then you'll feel like it really warm. And then it seems like this thing is just trying a series of different eye rays on the inside of the box. <laughs> but Kanan, I mean, this is a high quality lunchbox. Kanan didn't waste his money. This is um, like an adamantium thing. lunchbox. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this thing is holding up right. no problem. Um, it may as well be made out of mithril or something. It's just <laughs> this thing is not breaking. Whatever it's made of, it seems to be stronger than the door in the decompression chamber <laughs> because this thing is not busting out of here. Maybe we should have made the uh, eclipse out of this. <laughs> he did get in an alley. I mean, I got it at a con. Uh, artist alley. He spent three years' salary on this lunchbox. <laughs> we go to Info O Scott. Info, what would you like to do? Info is going to walk over to the lunchbox. And uh, pull out his crossbow, and I'm gonna say, just lift it up a wee bit, lass. I'll, I'll give him the old pokey pokey. Hey, 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 hey! No, 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 no! <laughs> I'll hold up the lunchbox. I feel like it can withstand a crossbow if it can withstand everything that <laughs> what this thing underneath is throwing at it. Why not? Would anyone like to do anything to attempt to stop info? Or are you simply just going to go, no, don't. Yeah, I'm just going to stand back and go, no, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, I think we already killed one. I'm going to go ahead and shoot my crossbow into the lunchbox. So Info walks over with the crossbow. Eva lifts the lunchbox up and you fire one of the crossbow bolts directly at this thing. And it shoots it right in the central eye. Go ahead and roll damage. Looks like seven damage. Shoots it right in the eye. and You see its other eye stalks start to wither and like writhe in pain. Um, And it's like squeezing its giant eye shut. And you see this weird kind of like bluish blood dripping out from where your arrow bolt protrudes. You didn't kill it, but I mean, you really, 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 really messed this thing up. I I peek into the space that's opened up there and go, I, you wee little bastard. You'll calm down now, won't you? I'm just going to step on the lunchbox to push it back down gently so I don't dent it. All right, Ava's turn. Is this thing is like impaled with like a crossbow bolt? And also that is all contained in this lunchbox. Um, well, I'm thinking at this, since technically all your turns happen at once, I think at this moment you lift up the thing, he shoots it, and now you're doing something. 
All right. Uh, well, as long as it's impaled, I'm going to sneak in a little punch <laughs> under there before I, uh, I put it back down. 15 to hit. 15 hits. It's going to be six bludgeoning damage, and I'm going to hit it with a hands of harm, which is an additional five necrotic damage. So that's, I guess, 12 total. Are you trying to kill it, or are you attempting to be non-lethal? What I do is I lift the lunchbox, I punch it, and then I let a surge of necrotic energy flow through me as I channel all of my mystical teachings about death and life and the boundary between the two. And just as I'm about to cross the boundary, I look at Dr. Shepard and I'm like, Shepard, are you sure you don't want to study this thing? Mm -hmm. I've seen them before. All right. Well, it did eat my fish oil paste. So, you know, bye. And then I just, I hit it with the extra, that extra oomph of damage. (laughs) Yeah. So the moment, uh, so Ava, you lift this thing up. Info shoots it point blank with this crossbow bolt. And then you just, punch it right in the side of its whole body, which is essentially its head. And you transfer this necrotic energy through your hand and just end this thing's life instantly. If anything, you've put it out of its misery. The squirming and crying in pain suddenly goes to silence and it just lays limp on the ground with this crossbow bolt protruding from its central eye. And that same kind of thin bluish blood equivalent is kind of just dripping um, out of this thing on the ground. You're no longer an initiative. We might want to wash the lunchbox. It has, like, blood inside of it. Mm, sorry, Kanan. I'm just going to look over at Rodney and go, Hi, Rodney, come get this kebab out of here. He's just going to wheel over. Yeah, I, I hand it to him, and I have an awkward moment where I'm not sure whether I should, like, take out <laughs> the impaled dead thing or whether he just wants all of it. My apologies, Kanan. Uh, can I have that, actually, please? I'll take the entire lunchbox beholder and all and walk it over to the trash chute, aim it kind of disgustedly towards the thing, hit the button and jettison this creature out and then turn back to the crew holding this thing to my chest going, what is wrong with you guys? It was the closest thing I could find, Kane, and I apologize. Rodney can give it a good spit and polish. So Lita will start casting a spell and prestidigitate all of the stuff off of it so it is sparkling, clean, brand new, beautiful. Go. I'm so sorry that we used that, um, but hopefully it's better now. As soon as you launch the second Beholderkin corpse out of the trash chute, you'll hear the cherubic tones of Gary chime in. All hostile life forms have been eliminated. Cool, Gary. How far are we now from Calamar? At our current speed, we will be arriving at Calamar in one hour and 22 minutes. How are our friends uh, Bakta and the rest doing? Did we manage to lose them? <laughs> yeah, you have all but forgotten about the ship that was pursuing you. And as you turn to check, um, and it's really only been maybe 30 seconds, you turn around and you no longer um, see them visually. And uh, checking your sensors, you have at least a 200,000 mile gain on them, which you would, if you stopped right now, it would take them you know, about a, like a solid minute to catch up with you. So as long as you remain at your constant speed, you're just going to keep putting that distance more and more in between you. You, you are certainly moving a lot faster than they are. Mm, Kanan, what about that yo-yo some more? Um, well, what about it? Are you going to treat it like you treated my lunchbox? Mm, no, I just want to watch. All right. And Kanan will go 
and find a cubby in the kitchen area and stash his lunchbox where he thinks no one will find it. Come back into the main area and immediately proceed to walk the dog, go around the world, do some cradling moves. Like he's really getting into it, trying to calm himself back down. Dr. Shepard's just in awe. But in the process of swinging the yo-yo around to do like an around the world, he catches it on the ceiling and then it wraps around his arm. Was that good? Is that part of it? No. No, sorry. And he'll untangle it. Are you okay? I, I'm fine. I'm, that was a lot, guys. Like the space pirates and little d- disturbing sinister mm. beholder creatures. And my lunchbox. Can we just get where we're going? Yes, I did not want to be the first to mention that, but that was wild. Space pirates. Now that you've managed to outrun the space pirates and deal with the two beholder kin that have gotten onto your ship, you were able to once more return your attention to your actual mission. Your scanners have indicated that you should be approaching Calamar and its surrounding moons in about an hour. They're close enough that they've become visible in the far distance. Juxtaposed against the darkness of space, you can quite easily see the massive pink gas cloud that is Calamar, as well as the three solid moons that exist within its orbit. So, during this time, you can all go ahead and get in a short rest, but I would like to know, what does this hour look like for the eclipse? What types of things are you all doing on the ship during this time? What sort of preparations are you making as you finally get closer to the site of your archaeological expedition? Is everyone topped off? Mm, I'm not. Nope. I I got zapped a little bit, so I'm down 7 HP. Seven. That's actually a pretty big chunk at this level. Yeah, it's like a third of. It's like a third, but you know, uh, I'm a tough gal, so I didn't complain. <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, Doctor Shepard will be fascinated by the yo-yo for quite some time, but before we land, we'll definitely want to check on uh, Ava's finger. So, in the hour that it would take for us to get to Calamar, um, Lita would be pulling out her sketchbook and doodling. Um, the little baby beholders that they just fought um, and like making notes about their behavior and what kind of attacks they had and how um, they were affected by the sleep spell. While she is doodling, she would be thinking, these creatures had one eye in the middle and four eyes surrounding that on these stalks. They did not seem to be phased by the change in pressure between our ship and space. Each eye appeared to be capable of different types of energy and they were able to easily avoid our attacks. They were able to be put to sleep by a spell of the first circle. Further studying is necessary. I think Dr. Shepard, other than obviously making sure that Ava's finger is okay and getting that bandaged up and patched up, Shepard would probably go back to wherever the yo-yo is. If Caden's still using the yo-yo or if Caden has abandoned the yo-yo, then Dr. Shepard will go and just try it out themselves and just uh, see if they can work it. After about an hour of rest and steady travel, you were so close to Amaron that it is all you can see on your frontal display panel. Unlike its gaseous pink primary, Calamar, Amaron is a large, icy mass of land, once host to a variety of humanoid civilizations. The moment you are within scanning range of the moon's surface, Gary will begin to scan for temple ruins that match the coordinates you were provided with. Location identified. Prepare for entry into a Moronian orbit. 
Hey everybody, this is Jeremy, your DM. Thank you so much for tuning into the first ever episode of Eclipse. I hope that you enjoyed it. I know we had a blast recording it. Uh, episode two will release in two weeks, so you can expect that to hit your podcast feed on February 18th. Make sure that you subscribe to Eclipse so you never miss any of our episodes. We plan to release some additional short episodes, maybe crew interviews, things like that. So make sure you're subscribed so you never miss any of that kind of stuff. And if you've enjoyed it, please, 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 please tell a friend and leave us a review. That is super helpful, especially for a brand new podcast. You can keep up to date with all sorts of Eclipse content by following us on Twitter at EclipsePod. We are super active on there. And you can also go to TheEclipsePod.com where you can learn more about our show and learn more about our crew and check out all the other stuff we're doing with Eclipse. Eclipse is proud to be part of the Majestic Goose Podcast Network, so you'll definitely want to check that out too. We are home to a dozen or so amazing podcasts and streams, everything from actual plays to talk shows. We even have have a weekly live nerdy craft stream so we really do it all here on the majestic goose network uh we release new content six days a week we have shows such as doom clock one shot onslaught halfway to heroes dice talk roll for weird and many many more so please go check all those out you can go to majesticgoose.com and give us a listen see what you think thanks again for tuning in and i'll talk to you next time on eclipse a majestic goose podcast Honk.